Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Leftology Podcast. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the uh, recent U.S. election that just happened. And uh, just uh, Joe Biden is now our president-elect of the United States of America. And in January... <laughs> January 20th something. Oh, let me look. Uh, and on January t- 19th, maybe? I don't know. Uh, I think he'll, it's 19th or 20th. He'll be our 46th president of the United States. Um, as we said last time, uh, get ready for the apocalypse. And oh boy, I could have not predicted how bad that was. That was the worst possible outcome for Joe Biden winning. I'm, dude, he, he really, it should have been a fucking landslide because he had it handed to him, especially after COVID this year with just how hated Donald Trump was. And I think he really fumbled the ball by trying to go for like these middle of the road white voters and then completely ignoring like the Latino base in the Southwest, doing nothing to really galvanize hit the black voters from what I saw. And so I think this is honestly a massive failure on the part of the Joe Biden campaign, especially considering uh, black and brown voters were the people that pushed him across the line in the end, whether it be in uh, Atlanta or Detroit. Yeah, definitely. We definitely saw the... A lot of people are saying now that the Latino demographic voting wise is not unified anymore. And I, I don't really think it ever, it ever was. It's just growing as a group and it is definitely going to be, it's weird under Trump because he represents both their social beliefs, but also the exact opposite of some other social beliefs and some economic beliefs. Yeah, uh, it's a mix because you have the anti-socialist Cubans. Oh yeah, well the Cubans that came over here are always going to vote Democrat. There's no, there's no real purpose in fighting for their vote, to be honest, because they are always going to fall victim to the that socialism, scary socialism from the Democrats thing, and that's always going to be a problem with them, and with uh, other Latino voters because they're they're not a monolith. I mean, they have this mix up of being like socially conservative, but also being economically progressive and uh, also being somewhat socially progressive in other ways as well. Um, I think, I don't know, man. I think where, where like Joe Biden fumbled was not being progressive enough economically and not really offering an alternative to what Trump was. And I think that was the biggest pitfall with a lot of the more moderate Democrats is like, to me, the way I see a lot of the moderate Democrats is they're like Republicans, but make it girl boss, but make it like Hello Kitty ACAB, you know? Well, not really ACAB, but the Hello Kitty part. Well, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but especially with the Latino group, uh, it's kind of, the problem we have here is we have like a Democratic Party trying, at least on the more progressive side, to get the vote of maybe first or second generation of Latino people. And that may possibly work on them, but we're seeing Cubans. Cubans already came into the United States about three generations ago in the 50s and 60s, most of them at least. Um, they were already pretty anti-socialist. They were political refugees. It wasn't just like out of poverty or anything for the most of them. They, they were 
the people that uh, Castro was overthrowing pretty much and the people that benefited from that government. That yeah, they're, they're the overthrown bourgeois class from Cuba. And some slightly lower than that. Uh, and the class structure of the previous Cuban government. Um, and you also have to forget on the, no, no, you don't have to forget. Uh, we also forget on like the other side, cause there's a lot of Latino people that are here and have been since like the 1800s and they're not coming through and they're not coming through the border and having to risk getting their green card or visa revoked. They've been here for four generations. They're like, they're more American than they are tied to Mexico or any other Latin American country. So they don't really have the sympathy or empathy towards the people that are getting in cages in the border, unless they have those more progressive social values already. Actually, I know that. Like See, some, I, I, some of that may be like assumptions I had to make. See, but I that's generally. Thought, I hadn't thought much about like the demographics over the past week. Most of like my thoughts and uh, speaking with other people was about how right after the election, there were a couple of uh, moderate Democrats that lost in a uh, congressional and Senate races that instantly started going after progressives and saying that socialism and defund the police were why they lost their elections. And I think that's total bullshit. And I, I honestly feel like if you're a Democrat losing, it seems to be you're not progressive enough and you're not offering a good alternative solution to what the Republicans have. I don't like I don't think it's I don't think they're losing because people aren't coming over to the left. I think they're losing because they aren't galvanizing their current base. It, it is definitely true. A lot of those on the moderate side don't really have much support behind them. There's not much enthusiasm in them because they're not really offering anything they're just offering like a preserved system from eight years ago or, or to bring that back so it, it there's nothing really on the table it's like a moderately eh healthcare system that a lot of people don't really like that much yeah the aca was not very popular the aca is not as popular as medicare for all is or the, the ACA... or the public option yeah and the ACA is extremely unpopular with Republicans, whereas a lot of Republicans actually like the Medicare for all, even in like those Fox News polls where it got like. Seven- That's the public option. It's slightly different. Oh, yeah, that was professional. But I think Medicare for all sits at about 30 or 40 percent. It's not like an ex- it's not a fringe idea. It just doesn't have the 50 percent mark quite yet. But achieving the public option is definitely going to be something that's going to push that up. Because if you have a public option that isn't ruined by austerity campaigns in order to uh, benefit the private healthcare systems, then you're going to get something that proves that the government can work as a healthcare system. And that could lead more people to trust in further programs like Medicare for All or possibly eventually the nationalization of the medical industry. Yeah. Which that's that's a that's a fever dream right now. So, also with uh with what I was saying about uh the Democrats not galvanizing their bases, I mean even if you look at Republicans and what Trump was running on, a lot of it's bullshit if you're yeah. informed about it. But on the surface level, 
he has quote unquote achievements. Like when you're voting for Trump, you're thinking you're voting for lower taxes that are going to help you out and have a little more income in your wallet. Um, you're voting for the funding for the HBCUs, uh, the lowest unemployment. Like he has the quote unquote lowest unemployment because there's a lot of factors yeah, yeah. into that. Yeah. Um, I'm studying economics right now. And there's another function or there's another percentage that we don't really look at. It's labor percentage um, or no labor participation rate uh, LPR. And you can have low unemployment because uh, being in the workforce is only those who are either employed or have looked for employment in the last four weeks. So if you get discouraged, you're not you're not in the unemployment uh, percentage. So if you have a bunch of people who are just not looking for jobs anymore, they're not going to be counted. But another way that we look at jobs is wrong because we look at the quantity of them rather than the quality of them. Because you can reduce unemployment by giving people a bunch of low, uh, low paying jobs. And that's not going to really benefit the market a lot. It's not going to benefit humans a lot. And you have these people working two or three jobs at a time and they're counted as one person but they take up three jobs so trump can say that he's created so many jobs say like a hundred thousand but that's going towards like maybe sixty thousand people some of them probably already had jobs so it doesn't really affect the unemployment rate that much and the things we definitely need to focus on in the future are getting higher paying jobs because a lot of people don't think about it that often yeah, we that uh, the, uh during the uh the podcast with isocratic where the second one yeah yeah where uh unemployment isn't about like a quantitative amount it's about the quality of the jobs that people have because some people are underemployed too especially with those people who have to work two or three jobs which i think if we're like just talking about the market which would just be in the pertaining to capitalism would kind of show that our minimum wage is below the equilibrium wage by a lot. But it's also, I think Bernie Sanders shared it, that a $15 minimum wage would increase the wages of uh, 40 million Americans, which is a lot of people. I don't even know what our labor participation rate is. Uh, let me search it for a second. And it's also, uh, the comeback to that is always that people think job the job market's just going to be fucking destroyed by raising the minimum wage because companies aren't going to be able to afford to pay their workers that much, and so they're going to have to lay everybody off. Which, that, that's one of the things about, like, right-wing talking points, is they always kind of appeal to common sense. And, like, you can make common sense arguments against left-wing ideas, like raising the minimum wage, but when you actually look at the data, there's no data supporting those arguments. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't uh, in effect, actually worsen uh, the unemployment rate. Yeah. And also... The labor participation rate is, a, it's about 63% is what Google says. And also one of those things where it's like, if you love like the free market so much, I mean, like, if you can't afford to pay your workers a living wage to work for you, like maybe you're not a good enough business to survive in the free market, you know? Cause like, 
in our think about it like in our current system if you currently can't afford to pay your workers enough like uh for the current minimum wage you're not just going to get the minimum wage lowered to keep your business afloat i mean i mean because if we really want to follow that logic of we need to keep the minimum wage low so small businesses can stay alive then hell we might as well go back to fucking slave labor if we really want our fucking small businesses to succeed but then they'll make loads of profit really make the economy boom Okay, so I've done a little bit, and raising the minimum wage by fifteen to fifteen dollars would help about approx- approximately uh, one out of every four people in the labor force in America. So, because I think they're they're taking some logical fallacies that some people aren't going to pull out because they're not really that educated in economics. Increasing the minimum wage is only going to increase the amount the average consumer spends. Uh, I think that's, I've probably said it before on this podcast multiple times, that I think it's wrong for us to separate the labor from the consumer because they're pretty much the same thing. Yep. So the more you pay them, the more they're able to consume. And I mean, I'm not for continuing the capitalist system for too much longer, but like if you want a good one, that's a rule you're going to have to acknowledge because that is the other point is it's always like raising the minimum wage causes inflation but it negates the fact that inflation has been happening over the past 10 years since we last raised the minimum wage and we really should have been keeping the minimum wage up with it and uh i believe it's if you followed accounted for inflation the minimum wage should now be what 20 two dollars i think is uh, the- in, if you base it off the early 70s i believe maybe 75 76 or slightly before that it would be 22 dollars today but that is mostly due to the massive inflation that happened in the late 70s yeah so if small businesses were able to survive back in and pay their workers then they should be able to do it now and the data supports that if you raise the minimum wage it doesn't doesn't actually hurt small businesses like people seem to think it does. Um, I mean, that's it, actually, it is the contradiction of capitalism, as Richard Wolff states. Yeah. That uh, the, and Karl Marx too, if you read him. Um, but like the goal is, or the goal for the people at the top, the people who are the producer, or the over the laborers, um their goal in the most simplest terms is to increase their profit as much as possible to work in their own self-interest and to increase profit you must reduce expenditure so wages are included in expenditure so the more you reduce wages the more profit you can make theoretically but if you that's only if you separate the labor from the consumer so if you have consumers that can't spend as much then your profit's going to fall by a lot. And this is what causes us to go to a, a crisis every few years. Because they, they try to keep doing this over and over again in re- more austerity, less that we can consume, you know, the usual deal. Listen to Richard Wolf. I'm not quite as educated as him. He has about 60 <laughs> years on me. Um, but yeah, um, how do we get on this? We were talking about... Uh, center of the road democrats and yeah yeah those people 
Yeah, to talk to to go back to that, I think it's been talked about by a bunch of lefties already. But I mean, all the progressive Democrats won their seats, and it's not just it didn't just win their uh, elections because they're in Democrat areas. There were progressives in traditionally Republican areas that still won their elections, running on ideas like Medicare for all, yeah. supporting backing the Green New Deal. You know, it, it is only the congressional ones. Uh, I think the ones running for their first term a, a few of them lost uh all, where uh it was one it was maybe like one of four of them around the country but all the ones in congress that were progressive or that could be deemed progressive held their seats aoc held their seat cory bush won her seat um jamal bowman won his seat and there's a few others around the country uh let's see Shahid Buttar lost, but that's to Nancy Pelosi. That was expected. So speaking of, speaking of Nancy Pelosi, the uh, left wing or the Democrat media, like the left wing media, needs to focus on doing to Mitch McConnell this time around what the right wing media has done to Nancy Pelosi. Because, and I've, I've thought about this for a while. If you talk to any Republican. They will go off about how Nancy Pelosi is trying to destroy this country and how Nancy Pelosi is the reason why there's no stimulus package. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't understand why we don't view Nancy Pelosi and possibly Chuck Schumer as a what would the as a cost, maybe there's a better synonym for that, but I don't have it at the moment because that was the majority of Lindsey Graham's attack ads on uh jamie harrison that jamie harrison was just going to be a puppet for them so that that's not it's not a good idea to have people that are viewed that corrupt in the party anymore even if they are the leaders of the party that's the other thing about the modest democrats versus more progressive democrats is that people see uh the democratic establishment i think from both sides as being pretty corrupt and you know I think Lloyd was talking about how if you are a modest um, or sorry, if you're like, he's like, what was it? He was saying that it couldn't be that people were being too moderate to get elected because if you're on the left and someone's too moderate for you, why would you go and vote for the right wing party? But I think like almost the idea of corruption has a lot to do with it. And also the uh, voter apathy with, a lot of these democratic officials that just haven't performed for their voters. Especially with those who are acknowledgeable or not acknowledgeable, knowledgeable. Um, because like Nancy Pelosi, she'll do the like the clap thing, which I can't really show because this is gonna be an audio only episode to Trump, and then she'll just approve every like budget he has. She'll just get it through the house as fast as possible, pretty much. And honestly, I think like if you watch the interviews with her when it came to the stimulus bill, she allowed herself to be the villain in that story. Like the, I don't understand how she had a bill on Mitch McConnell's desk for like five months. He refused to have a vote on it. And then Trump pushes out a last-minute stimulus to get a little boost before the election, and it's all of a sudden she's the devil because she won't pass it through the House. Like, how did she? How did she let that messaging 
kill her like that. Like she should have been for the past month, like demonizing Mitch McConnell for refusing to have the Senate vote on things that American people really fucking need right now. I mean, yeah, she is a, we're looking at a multimillionaire in an extremely uncompetitive district uh, that is San Francisco, I want to say. And so she doesn't really have to worry about anything. Like Shahid Buttar didn't really offer a good competitive race to her. He got like uh, one, what was it? A sexual harassment scandal. Like, a, I'm not sure how big it was, but like that people just started unfollowing him, which Twitter doesn't really show a good proportion to real life, but still it does have to hurt. And she really didn't have to like even address him at all i think i think another problem with um moderate uh, democrats is that they're very soft on their policies and will instantly shift to the middle anytime you call them out for being too radical like dude republicans will go over and completely dismantle the aca and take fucking health care away from 20 million people and uh disband the protections for pre-existing conditions with no plan to replace it, and they'll still come out like being loved by their constituents. Well, that that but, was the main thing I was going to talk about slightly later with the um, the blaming thing, because you see online at least, which I mean, the online world is is very toxic. But it's as you said, the more moderate wing is calling the progressives the problem, and I personally think that it's the right that's the problem. And they're just completely forgiving the right for having this large propaganda machine that spanned over the last four to six years. Yeah, the moderate Democrats constantly concede to the right wing and they won't give a single bone to the left, it seems. I mean, if, if you're looking at personal interest, I'm not sure about Chuck Schumer exactly, but like people like Nancy Pelosi who are like stand because they're like anti-Trump and stuff like that, their whole like popularity hinges on the fact that there's a right wing to be against. Like at least in like an outward form, uh, maybe not like when she signs it, but the, the more right wing policy that they allow, the more that they can promise without promising anything. Yeah, they really are just, uh, and again, this, this is what, I just, I don't believe this, we're not the Republicans actually gets people to go out and vote. And I think that's all, that's again, like the biggest problem is they're not very strong in their positions. They're horrible at messaging their positions. The second they get called a socialist, they'll concede on their positions. They're they're defensive and that's the problem. They're not attacking. I'm not saying you have to be the big strong man, but I think like, like, so one of the things I thought about a lot this week is like Joe Biden with the socialism stuff. I, it really frustrates me that he, every time it was brought up was like, I'm not the socialist. I beat the socialists. I'm not like them, but it's like, he's still like a part of your party was and and Sanders was initially one of the early picks for the Biden cabinet. So I mean, any projection after that third election projected him to win pretty much. Sanders is the first person to win the first three states in a primary and lose. Yeah, and and people, people know that Joe Biden's still connected to Sanders and that Sanders is talking to Biden. So saying that 
I beat the socialist. We're not the socialists. That's the crazy Bernie over there does really nothing for him. I honestly, I wish that I'm not saying we make socialism a good thing. Like, cause I don't know if that's possible with how much, how much like raw reaction that has behind it. But I think we definitely need to take the power away from the fucking word and stop going oh yeah socialism is the big scary thing but we're not that that's over there and it's like and just like take it head on and be and and just say yeah the media they're gonna call me a socialist they call every democratic candidate a socialist remember back in 2008 when they were saying obama was a socialist for wanting to cover pre-existing conditions you know back in 2008 the, the Republican Party was saying that pre-existing conditions was going to kill the insurance industry. It's crazy. It's like giving someone car insurance after they crash their car. All this stuff. Those talk that that's what the talking points in 2008 were against Obama. So it really doesn't matter what the media calls me because they're going to call me that anyway. What matters is the policy. This policy is popular. People like what I'm selling. So you can call me whatever word you want. This is what people want. Well, the, the problem is that their policy isn't really silly because Joe Biden doesn't even offer like the biggest public option out of the people who are in the Democratic candidates, like excluding the Medicare for all oh, candidates. Of and that's why I'm saying they should have gone to the left and changed the messaging around it. Because I think if you move more to the left, you galvanize your base. And if you fight off the media, and I'm not saying take Trump's full on, like the media's total bullshit. They're lying to you about everything. Only I know it's right. Not taking that route, but taking a at least some sort of uh, offense or defense against them and being like the right wing media, they call me, they call the uh, Democratic candidate a socialist every single election. And so here's the policies. You either like them or you don't. But you should not let the right-wing media control you with fear. Because I think that's another thing we don't attack enough is how much the right-wing media controls people just straight through fear tactics. Like, if you listen to a lot of Republicans' opinions on stuff, it all comes from a reactionary place of, I want this because I'm scared of what the other team is going to do. Uh, okay, so as I mentioned in my Kim Nelson interview, I have this book, which I it's here. You can't see it, the listener, uh, because this is an audio-only episode. Uh, but there's a passage from a reporter talking with Newt Gingrich really early on in it. This book's called Post-Truth by MIT, uh, if you haven't seen my interview yet. But uh, let me read here from it. Uh, the following incredible on-camera exchange with CNN reporter... Allison Camerata and Newt Gingrich. So uh, Camerata, violent crime is down. The economy is ticking up. Uh, Gingrich, it is not down. It, or no, it is not down in bigger cities. Camerata, a violent crime murder rate is down. It is down. Gingrich, then how come it's up in Chicago and up in Baltimore and up in Washington? Camerata, there are pockets where c- certainly we are not tackling murder. Gingrich, your national capital, your third biggest city, Camerata, but violent crime across the country is down. Gingrich, the average American, I will bet you this morning, does not think crime is down, does not think we are safer. Camerata, but it is. We are safer, and it is down. Gingrich, no, that's just your view. 
camarada. It's a fact. There are these are national FBI facts, Gingrich. But what I said is also a fact. The current view is that liberals have a whole set of statistics that theoretically may be right, but it's not where humans, human beings are, camarada. But what you're saying is, but hold on, Mr. Speaker, because you're saying liberals use these numbers. They use this sort of magic math. These are the FBI statistics. They're not liberal organization. They're a crime-fighting organization. Gingrich, no, but what I said is equally true. People feel more threatened. Camarada, feel it, yes, they feel it, but the facts don't support it. Gingrich, as a political candidate, I'll go with how the people feel and let you go with the theoreticians. That is so such a good quote to represent what I'm trying to say. Because I said this on the Discord earlier. I think Americans are more economically progressive than we give them credit for. But low info voters are very, very susceptible to reactionary politics. And you got to be careful with that term because the right uses it a lot for minorities. Um. Uh, yeah, let me be specific. When I say like reactionary, I mean like uh, not necessarily like right wing reactionaries. I mean, in this instance, uh, having visceral gut reactions to policy ideas instead of uh, actually like thinking about it factually. And I think like Fox News in particular takes advantage of this all the time by constantly connecting with people's emotions on policies to get them to vote for people that are completely against what they actually believe in. I mean, yeah, because you have the people, um, I talked about it in the essay I sent you, which we might make into a video after I edit a few times, but they're coming from a different way of thinking because especially when you start off conservative, most of the time you're going to start off in a conservative family. A lot of liberals and leftists definitely don't turn conservative unless they're going to make a lot of money off of it. Like, uh, what's his name? Dave Rubin. <laughs> um, so they start off with this worldview and that's kind of the way I started off until like maybe like sophomore, junior year, pretty much in high school. And they're going to base the facts off of that, or they're going to find facts based on what they already have, known in their worldview and not let the facts determine their worldview so that that's how people like ben shapiro and stephen crowder can back their arguments because if you take parts of statistics they're going to support your argument but if you read the whole thing it's not and if you only present that portion of the statistics and you're speaking really quick your opponent's either going to not have time to respond or your opponent's not there so you just have a an audience that cannot refute your point nor knows how to this, that's like one of the things that Steven Crowder does constantly is he's very misleading with statistics, especially like one note, uh, like uh, one example offhand is when he talks about like the death, uh, suicide rate of trans people, he's like, it's 40% um, uh, 40% uh, pre-surgery, 70% uh, after, you can't make up that 30% uh, just from getting bullied, so clearly they're mentally ill or something like that while completing completely negating that that exact same study says that the suicide rates are lowered to 15% if they're supported by their family. And so he's stating real statistics, but presenting them in a completely dishonest way and completely negating the, 
the uh, part of the statistics that goes completely against his point. Just like you were saying with Newt Gingrich, he was doing the same thing. Oh, well, crime is up in these cities. Yes, but it's nationally down. And also we're spending way more on the police than ever. And there's not a direct correlation with more police presence and less crime. Yeah. But, so, uh, like, uh, conservatives view a lot of things like that. Like with the uh, jobs earlier, they do view a lot of things quantitatively than qualitatively. They don't want to really ask why, because when you start asking why, you realize that the world doesn't really support how you view it. Yeah, and I think there's also like, I think, so So the right's able to win on pure like fear and making you scared of things. And the left also had, I think the biggest problem with like Democrats and leftists is honestly the messaging. Like fucking Democrats are total pussies. And then leftists can all, often be like very gatekeepy and super judgmental of people that don't agree with them on stuff. It, it is on the left. It is not a like tiered way in. It's, it is very, uh, get to our point or go away kind of uh, it is with the um the f the police kind of deal fuck the police kind yeah, of deal and and i hate that like it's like a lot of leftists and maybe it's just because i've been spending too much time on tiktok following like young leftists on there is there very much if you're not full socialism you're not fully for communism oh market socialism you're just a spicy capitalist it's like if you're not fully with us all the way to the edge, you're against us. And you you got to pick your battles because if we're if we're gonna talk about Florence County in particular, with um, if we're gonna like gain the trust of or push people further left that are either moderate, conservative, or maybe even liberal, you can't go on the police calls. That's not the right place to do the police calls because of the thing that happened back in 2018. Oh yeah, for so for those that don't know, uh, the police were—I believe they were taking doing a warrant at someone's house for the. I think like the son had a sexual assault allegation. Yes, I believe so. And then yeah. afterwards, I think he's had like child sex assault allegations thrown onto him. Yes, it's and a so weird family. Trying, they were but... trying to arrest the son, and then the dad like barricaded himself upstairs and had a shootout with the police and i think three officers were injured and one was killed one was killed there and i think another one died in a hospital in georgia oh yeah 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 and that's the other thing with like the blue lives matter shit is because like dude in a general sense blue lives matter is so racist and fucked up because it's just a pure reaction to black lives matter but you can't use you can't say that around here because people started flying blue lives matter flags after cops got shot in a shootout. Yeah, because it was both sides of the sheriff's race. Uh, both TJ Joy and or and maybe not TJ Joy put it on his thing, but he definitely supports it because he's a Republican. And like that was all of Darren Yarbrough's campaign did have the blue lives matter flag on it because it's seen differently in this area and you have to pick your battles. You cannot start on a cab here because the cops have a different view here than they do else in the country. Uh, you might could possibly go abuses of power because we had a Kenny Boone here. Also like, 
Uh, I'm not going to speak on that, actually. I was going to say, generally in the small town, Florence, cops are relatively nice. But as a white guy, I'm not going to say that's for sure. It, it, it's I haven't had an interaction with them, really, at, unless it was like at an event where I wasn't in trouble. Yeah, you, this is also a place where you don't hear about a lot of police violence. No, the, it may exist, we, but... Yeah, and when we had our Black Lives Matter protests, the police did what I think the police should have done everywhere and marched with the protesters instead of trying to bust it up. I think it, that was a due to a, mat, a mixed amount of factors because it was more of the, the sheriff's department is what I saw the second one. And who was that? Uh, Glenn Kirby was there, and he was up for election uh, only a few days after that happened. So he couldn't really risk anything. I mean, yeah. he lost too, but like risking like attacking protesters, especially if they can be proven peaceful because of how many people are in Florence and how many people went to the protest. It's not going to be a popular thing, especially in that part of, or that early into the George Floyd protest to attack the protesters in a small town. Yeah, and I think the other thing that that we also take for granted is the fact that people are fairly individualistic. It's really hard to get like the average. Okay, so if you're like a working class guy and you think Trump's gonna make the working class lifestyle better for you, it's hard to win those people over by saying Trump's actively hurting the LGBT community. Because I think at the end of the day, the average person's probably going to put them th- them before themselves before anyone else. So I don't think that's the most effective tactic at pulling people over around here, especially considering Biden did not offer that great of an opposition. I think he's pro-unionized. Oh, is he there? The Wi-Fi must be down for either me or him. I have no idea, but he froze. Rising, uh, and I think he wants to. Uh, oh, the, there he speeds yeah. up. Uh, you froze for a second there. Yeah, you froze for me as well. <laughs> uh, what did you miss? Uh, you got it really. It got really quick. Uh, what, what did I say last? Uh, you're talking about uh, working class people and Biden. Or not, yeah, Biden and Trump. Let's just yeah. cut this section. Just cut this section from the audio <laughs> when you send it to me. Yeah, I don't think Biden was offering a great thing to the working class. I mean, he was very pro-unionization. He wants to further unionization. But that was not one of the main things talked about on the debate stage. Because... That's another thing I think people underestimate is, well, you know, I may say Biden was weak on this and they go, well, it's on his website that he that he had this policy and that policy. But he wasn't messaging that from what I saw from for a lot of stuff. I'm blanking. I should have been taking notes this week. On what? Specific points to talk about, because I thought about a lot of this election shit. I just remember my thoughts very well for some reason that that's a. I only know politics and music. Uh, my brain doesn't remember what I do at all. Dude, I have a, a horrible fucking memory, and I'm so scatterbrained all the time. I mean, if we're going we're gonna to talk about that, bringing it to an individualist level 
or individual level is definitely going to be a good thing. And I don't think people in the center who aren't really offering change at all can bring it to the individual level. Cause if you have these people that are suffering or maybe not having that great of a life, if you're just going to say, I'm going to continue this instead of making it worse, then they're not really going to vote for you because they're expecting change. They'll take change no matter what. And yeah. as I was talking uh, on with others earlier is that like the further you get into austerity, the weirder it's going to get, especially on the right. I mean, the left gets weird a little bit too, but like the right wing's going to get weird in the next four years. Like, don't, don't think it's going to go back to normal. It's going to get weird. It's going to get more religious and it's, it's just going to go further. Right. It's going to go into more conspiracy theories and you're going to have to learn about them more because they're more present. Dude, I have so, so many thoughts on this. I'm trying to fucking figure out how to get it out. This again goes with another mark. Like what you're saying is another mark against uh, moderate Democrats is that uh, people like change. Like when when Democrats win, they win by landslides because they're offering actual change. Joe Biden was like, I'm just going to be the same, but we're going to reverse that shit that <laughs> Trump did with the tax cuts for the rich. And like, hopefully he'll... Hopefully he'll let the trans people back in the military. Um, but in general, he wasn't offering a whole lot of change. Expanding on the ACA, that's like a little bit of reform. His climate policies were fairly weak. But like Trump was like, we're going to cut your taxes. You're going to have more money in your pockets. It, it you is know? weird because Trump's campaign, as I noticed, they were kind of running as an outsider despite being the... in in incumbent president that like his whole campaign treated as if he wasn't already president and if he hadn't oh, been yeah, for yeah. Four years yeah and that's not how it worked and also speaking to the camp uh, his campaign he was also debating like he was going against bernie sanders and the fact that joe biden again like what i was saying before was like who are you debating i'm not that guy <sighs> fucking I forgot what I was going to say. Because those are the dog whistle words. Because you have this past of the last 40 years of propaganda on the right. You have your, your Fox News, your evangelical evangelical churches uh, that are typically on the right, and especially socially right. And you have the messaging that comes from people like Ben Shapiro, uh, Stephen Crowder, and other online right-wing medias and the further right ones, maybe like Blaze TV, whatever other people watch, I have no idea. But they, you get these terms and they put them in their head with these talking points and they kind of just lie dormant until you buzz them off. Like socialism is the buzzword. They hear it in their minds and they know not to vote for that person. It, it's kind of like creating a uh, entire group of voters that are just sleeper agents for right-wing talker talking points against the left you know so we we do that too on the left i think like of course they have very different meetings but the way the way socialism is for the right is they call everyone on the left a socialist and the socialists are going to destroy america and then the right wing doesn't take uh things like transphobia and racism is seriously because on the right, they believe that, oh, everyone's going to call us racist. Everyone's going to call us homophobic no matter what. So it doesn't matter. So like, I think like 
do you think the right wing has almost like taken the power out of the word racist? Uh, maybe because they can, they go on the attack. They don't really defend what they're against because their base doesn't really have to because they're the people getting called racist at Target for wearing a MAGA hat. They don't really care because it it's... <sighs> the best way I can sum it up is like the Toby Turner tweet on uh, Twitter where he was like, we need to get rid of cancel culture and all these and a couple other things. And he was like, a vote for Trump. And I mean, this is Tobuscus we're talking about. This is somebody who hasn't been taken seriously since like 2014. Yeah, he hasn't and, been taken seriously after, what was it, the sexual assault allegation? Yeah. Yeah, and what you're saying about the cancel culture, I don't think we do enough to point out the hypocrisies on the right. And cancel culture is such a big fucking hypocrisy. Like... <laughs> one of the things that I was listening to Hassan talk about this week was how our prison industrial complex and like the death penalty is kind of massively right-wing cancel culture. You do a crime, you have no path to redemption. You are always a criminal and we're going to treat you as such. Yeah. You know, but, and but it sorry. also benefits them because they get rid of uh, minority voters that's another thing that happened over the election. A bunch of uh, felons got their voting rights back in Florida and then were not able to vote because they got poll tax. Yeah, because the uh, like people like Rick Scott weren't expecting that uh, ballot measure to go that way. So the, they spent the last two years trying to like remove all the power from it where you have to pay it a, like a fee to get your voting rights back. So... I yeah, do think it's hard to see. It's like you have to pay back anything you owe to the government, I think is what it was. So like if you have student loans, you have to pay all your student loans back before you can get the opportunity to vote again, I think is what it was. Ooh, that's is, just, that's illegal, I'm fairly sure, or unconstitutional. By what amendment? Uh, 15th? No poll taxes? Like you could argue that in front of the Supreme Court. I mean, I don't think it's going to go through in, with the current six three. It's it's hard because they're felons, and but because it, like in America we don't treat our people that have committed crimes as people. Yeah, I think that's, currently that it would be a five four decision with Roberts joining the liberals. That, that's another thing with uh with a uh, right wing media is it's like. It's all about dehumanizing the opposition and making your team scared of the other team. Uh, yeah, but I think we talked about it earlier. If, um, there is the part of fascism and fascist uh, propaganda where your enemy is weak while also is much stronger than you at the same time. Because you need to accomplish two things. You need to look superior. You need to make your base feel superior. But you also need to make them feel like they are being attacked and everything that they believe and everything that they are is under attack. See, I think like oh, this, the overall uh, theme of like everything we talked about, even though we haven't mentioned it, it all comes back with the left is just really bad at messaging. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today that we kind of went off on a couple other tangents. And I wanted to talk to you about like, maybe discussing some ways we could do better with bringing people over to the left. And I think like, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is assessing people's worldview. 
because yeah. because if you look at like left economically left versus right what is the ultimate goal of the wor- of our world should we be working for the most profit possible or should we be working towards the best living conditions for every person in the country and most people would say better living conditions and yet every time the election comes around we're voting for the guy that's quote unquote going to make the economy boom which has been historically uh glued together with republicans that idea because we have economy right now that's the benefit of the economy is not attached to the workers but the cost of the economy like when it goes down is uh, i think marx also outlines that in a couple of his essays well, so, well, it used to be a connected with the worker it used to be when uh the stock market was up and the economy was up that wages went up yeah but that was under a keynesian market we've shifted back into the free market that uh caused the great depression back in the 20s because of just allowing companies to do fuck shit um like that we shouldn't allow that because in my worldview um i believe the like at least under a capitalist system, which I, I outwardly do not prefer. But if we're going to continue that, and we look at Adam Smith, his, what was it, perfect competition, I don't think that can exist in a free market. That needs to be heavily regulated if we're going to have perfect competition. Because this is the normal Marxist view, but the capitalism trends towards monopolization. Because yeah. in a competition, somebody has to win in a sense but if the bigger person keeps winning then the market's just going to become that and the only way to kind of defeat them is to get rid of the market which has happened in the past with and recently like things like sears and like the empires of the old like 50s and 60s have now fallen and have been replaced by walmart and amazon um, another thing I think we need is like very clear and concise like talking points. Like when, when we start making videos in the future, when we have time to do that, I want to make sure we're not just educating the viewer on a subject, but also laying out a dialogue tree for them to go through the way that like Steven Crowder does with his like change my mind segments. And um, like an example of that is like, like we were talking about with the free market is People have this idea that the free market makes everything better. The freer, the better. The freer the people, the, or the free the market, the freer the people. Yeah, and uh, like one of the talking points I've been using against that is like, why do we have laws against people? Why do we have laws against like me killing someone else? Is because you cannot, you do not have the freedom to take away someone else's freedoms. Not or under you- this system. A lock would argue against that. Yes, yes. But but most people would agree you should not have the freedom to kill another person. Yeah, so if we're looking at the, the Lockean view of society, um, which, I mean, I've only read like 10, 20 pages of a Locke, Locke book, but the, the idea is that people collectively give up their, some rights, like under a, what what's the term? Is it like natural world or something like that? But it, it's a world without society in a sense, but you have limitless you have all the freedoms that there are which means i technically have the freedom to your life in that 
in that system. Um, but the thing is that if I kill you, there is the possible retaliation of your friends to come kill me. And that could just keep going on for eternity, which would cause chaos in a sense. Uh, but battle lock, to be honest. The, like, the idea is that we give up uh, the, it's the social construct, which wouldn't be given a name until after lock with ooh, who's that? Oh, I'm forgetting names right now, but uh, it originally comes from Hobbes, I believe. And Hobbes believed you'd give over all your rights for security. And then Locke believed you'd, you would hand over your rights for the security that other people also handed over their rights. So I'd hand over my right to your life if you'd hand over your right to my life. So th that's the, the formation of society, which in that view, which America is structured on the Enlightenment thinking, or at least it was founded on the Enlightenment thinking, is that society is collective in a sense. Society is made up as a collective to benefit people. So I... I am here to benefit you and you're here to benefit me because in a totally free world, we are adversaries, but in society, we are not. I really don't want this to get silent, but uh, it looks like you're thinking. This has been, this has been such a scatterbrain podcast. <laughs> I like, dude, I came into here with, with a bunch of really thought out uh, points that I wanted to get to. But it's been just so back and forth and like all over the place. I think this is a good episode, honestly. I hope so because I feel like I've been so uh, scatterbrained and not very uh, concise on the points I'm trying to make. Yeah, I didn't promote the last one on my own pages because I was like, my dad's going to see that and he really doesn't like when I say the word fuck. <laughs> yeah, what are we like 50 minutes into the podcast? He's not going to listen for that long. <laughs> but what i was uh what i was saying before about, about like free markets free the people is like we have laws because most people in our society today would agree that you cannot use you do not have the freedom to infringe on someone else's freedom like you can't just go freely punching people but we don't apply that the same to businesses and there's a lot of cases where we don't apply the same logic to people and businesses but specifically in this the same way you need to regulate someone's ability to harm people you need to regulate companies ability to harm people and like with a uh, trump's deregulation on fracking and uh methane releases like the limits on methane releases that harms people in the surrounding areas that needs to be regulated. Because oh, yeah, definitely. And I think there's, like, I think, like, that's a very clear talking point against, like, a lot of the freer the market, freer the people. Yeah. Um, what is it? Carlos Maza has a really good video on that called Anti-Politics, and there's a more general view of anti-politics, which the only other person I know that's disgusted is Noam Chomsky, but I haven't researched it very much. But it's the idea of like what the Republicans have done in the last 40, 50 years as a response to uh, the New Deal and the Great Society. And they had created a, I guess the correct term is a false dichotomy of government and freedom, of the more government, the less freedom, the less government, the more freedom. And that's not true because your freedom can also be taken away from companies. 
and you can have a large government and still maintain your freedom and you can have a yeah. small government and not have your freedom at all well that's like the argument that there is no such thing as the libertarian right because you're yeah you're free from the government but your rights are now being taken away by uh massive corporations and we've kind of separated ourselves from that which the government is going to represent somebody if we're in a representative democracy or in a democracy. So it matters who they represent, really. So if you're saying that the government doesn't represent you to these people, so they should fight for less regulations, then the government is going to represent the companies because the people aren't fighting to get the people who represent them in office. I mean, it is kind of the, the dickish thing that a lot of people on or the working class doesn't like hearing, but like the you're voting against your own interest argument, which it, it's a very dickish argument to make. To well, I mean, voting right wing kind of is voting against your own interests. If you're uh, middle or lower class, yeah. Yeah. But if you went up to somebody's door in a neighborhood and said, do you vote Republican? They said yes. And you said you're voting against your own interests. They sock you right in the face. Yeah, because that's like a horrible way to uh, measure for someone. Like, and I've been very guilty of doing this too, but I think looking at a Trump supporter and going, I, I think this take will, would upset people, but looking at a Trump supporter and going, uh, you're a piece of shit because you're voting for Trump. You don't really care about trans people, black people, gay people, and stuff like that. I don't think that's going to do anything for them. You're not no, no, not at all. If they don't care about those groups, it it matters what audience you're going for because in a one-on-one interaction, your audience is the other person. So if you're trying to get them over, then that's not going to be effective. But if we're talking in a debate, like let's say uh, hypothetically, somebody named Sam Cedar uh, was to debate Steven Crowder, um, then you could do that because your audience is a third party. But that also can be ineffective because if you're trying to win over the Steve Crowder viewers, they don't really care about black people. They don't really care about trans rights. They don't really care about gay rights. All they care about is being like uh, edgy and shit. So it, it's not going to really work on them. The problem is, is that like, the, I, I think there are right wingers that do care about gay people and black people, but they're so deep in the talking points that the reason why black people are disproportionately poor, it like they have, they're deep in the talking points on that. They don't. Yeah. They're still in the they sense that we're still a meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, and and they've been fed talking points for years. If they grew up in a Republican household, they've been they were literally raised on it. And so, you're not going to shift someone's whole world to you that they grew up with by just going. Uh, your worldview is bad. Yeah, you, like your worldview is bad. You're voting for this because you're a homophobe. And so, and I think that's a, one of the problems with moderate Democrats is they are kind of the right wing party, but with without the uh, cultural stuff. Yeah, that they are kind of impartial to. So you got to offer them something because if we're trying to get the right wing voters, they're going to respond to a right wing culture war. Because that, that's what the Republican Party wins all most of the time. Because they, they can say that the economy is going to do good under them, which is a lie. Uh, but they also went on the trans rights thing because the trans, trans people are going through what the gay people or gay people had to deal with for 
These people are still dealing with that shit, dude. Yeah, but it's not as much as it yeah. used to be back in like the 90s and stuff. Because up until maybe like 2010, the gay people were pedophiles thing was extremely popular still. And now I, they're doing that with trans people in the bathrooms, which I haven't really heard that argument for a while, but I've also isolated myself a lot from the right. So I don't really hear their views. I forgot they were doing that. Yeah. That's another thing. That's another thing that is very important. Drawing parallels to the path, to, to, to the past, sorry, fucking my lip. Drawing parallels to the past where people in the past use arguments that you're using now like like if you if you look at how right-wingers will dehumanize certain groups like right-wingers very harshly dehumanize black people by saying they're 13 percent of the population you know the 1350 thing and so they'll use that to justify locking them up keeping them poor but if you look back in the past that's the exact same thing they did, exact same thing they did to justify enslaving them. It was because black oh, yeah. people John C. Calhoun's were, argument. Yes, it was their their skull shapes made made them lesser and shit. Which they benefit I, from being enslaved, which is like John Calhoun's speech in like the eighteen thirties or something like that. And they also did that to uh, indigenous people as well, where they justified dispossessing indigenous people of their land because indigenous people were savages and they could not rule the land in a uh, good society like the white man could. And so that's how they justified like shit, like the Trail of Tears. And yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I think like drawing parallels of stuff like that back to today, I think is really effective with people because mm-hmm. a lot of our history has been whitewashed. Like, it's so hard to justify uh, riots to people. But if you if you say, hey, look, I get why you have your reaction to this. You don't like seeing cities, quote unquote, destroyed because it's like one building or burned down. And then <laughs> right wing media is like they're destroying the entire city. But if you drop parallels back to uh, like the civil rights movement back to Stonewall, you can show people that riots are not the uh, illness. They're just a symptom of it. You know, the illness is the civil unrest. So you're not going to fix the, like, the problems that BLM is uh, going against by squashing the riots. You have to squash the civil unrest. And again, like, that's like tying the, the talking points now into the talking points of the past. And again, like I was saying earlier with uh, with uh, every single Democratic candidate, they're always socialists. They're always the radical far left. They're like the right wing media is always trying to keep you in fear of what the left wants to do to you or something like that. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I don't want to go too much longer on this. So is there anything else you need to add? I don't know. I think I want to I want to for the next week. Next week, we're going to have some guests on. We're going to have some guests who's going to be on. Uh, we're going to have Mike Brank and Tim Stride on if that's still going to happen. And I'm going to see if I can get Shaquez McCall on because mm-hmm. he, he just won his election for city council at large. That's cool. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to make sure I have some talking points uh, next week because this has been a – I don't know if this is a great, good podcast, back hop podcast, but I feel like it's definitely been very scattered. Our, our 30 viewers will tell us. <laughs> uh, if, if you get to this point in the video, uh, go down in the comments and uh, comment a thumbs up and say uh, give us a rating out of 10. Tell us how we did. Um, slander us. Tell us how you could do it better. Um I don't know. Yeah, man. Uh, give us interactions. Comment multiple times if you want. Tell your friend to listen to the podcast. <laughs> Tell him to also comment how poorly we did. <laughs> Drop a dislike. <laughs> Drop multiple dislikes. Go onto your other account that you have for your school, watch the entire video, and then drop a dislike just because. Go into your school's computer lab and open up this podcast on every single computer and then drop a dislike on each one. But give us... Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, I wanted to lighten it up at the end uh, for the uh, people who made it to the end. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast for like 50 minutes now. I don't know how long this has been on. Um, but I had a proposal for a stream and I talked about it Saturday with some other people, but you weren't there, Patrick, but you've learned about it now, haven't you? Yeah, I was told about it yesterday. Would you like me to explain it better? Yeah. Okay. So my idea, which I'm going to call the drug draft, uh, but now that politics is over because Joe Biden won, we can do more lighthearted things. So my thought was, the, the original thought, um, which has slightly changed after talking to my girlfriend about it, but we're going to have like five or six people there, um, which would be like you and Olive, Ethan and Ada, and then me and Dylan. And... We're going to take the states, and originally I was going to do it based on population, so California would go first and Wyoming last. And we all have to collectively agree that we have a list of 50 drugs, and with this system, which I'm going to slightly change later, but um, California would go first, and we would have to all agree on which drug they would vote on, and then that drug would be taken off the list. That makes sense? Yeah, like each state gets a single drug. And, and then you you can do in that state. Then you keep going until Wyoming with a special rule that Washington DC uh, gets both Maryland and Virginia's drug. But the thing is in this hypothetical world, all other drugs on the list and off the list are completely banned. Except for maybe caffeine. I think I'm going to take caffeine on the list right now. All right, yeah. Uh, but I changed it slightly, so we're going to do it randomly. What do you mean, just random states? We're going to do random states in order. And then after doing all 50 of them. This is hard because, like, as soon as the idea was mentioned to me, I already thought of, like, specific drugs that go to specific states. It has to go in order. So, like, if we were going on the popular way, like, if we just end up at, like, California to Wyoming somehow... California would go weed first, and then weed would be taken off the list. Yeah, but weed is so obvious for California. Yeah. Like, I think the ones I thought of, like, instantly were, like, California's weed. Florida gets, like, Coke. Fucking New York either gets, like, caffeine or cigarettes. Uh, Dylan told me to take off caffeine, but I think that's mainly because she couldn't live without caffeine and Adderall together. <laughs> um, so you get Adderall wherever the best Ivy League schools are. Uh, the, the best option for her was that uh, Maryland gets caffeine and Virginia gets uh, Adderall. 
or the other way around and just to live in Washington. But I think this is going to be fun. Uh, there are going to be three rounds to it or three different sections. So the first section would be the longest with us deciding which states get what drugs. It can't just be like off our opinion of it. We have to think of what would these people actually vote for off the list? Yeah. Okay. So the second one, we would divide how the American populace would like redistribute themselves after this. And then third, we all, all six of us, five or six of us have to decide which state we would live in. And it cannot be the same one. All right. I think that'd be a really good stream. All right. Well, well uh, if you, if you got this far, go make a second or third comment in the comment section below. <laughs> Tell us what you think of this idea. Uh, give us any suggestions. Uh, comment multiple times. Share this on all your Discord servers, all your Twitters. Yeah, and I think that's it for this week. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for this long to the two people that do. It's greatly appreciated. I really hope you aren't just playing us with your computer volume off. That would really <laughs> suck. Uh, have a good week. We'll be back on Tuesday, like I said earlier, um, or next Tuesday, with three guests this time. Uh, hopefully that goes well, but uh, thanks for listening.